I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. It is trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a wide variety of things. We're going to be talking about a um, short film. I know I'm going to say both the director's name wrong and probably the name of the uh, movie wrong, uh, Mater or Mater. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Call of Duty uh, and uh, my review for Dr. Sleep. And, of course, I am joined here by my co-host, uh, Patrick. How's it going, Pat? Going well. You make it sound like the uh, the character from Cars. See, you know, that's the worst thing about searching for it, too. Uh, I was searching for it on YouTube because I had commented, uh, David and I follow each other on Twitter, and I was at a loss of finding where um, the link was uh, on on his tweet that I commented on that I'd be watching it. And so I went to go search for it on YouTube and I typed in, you know, uh, Mater or Mater uh, short film and it pulled up all these cars short films. So seven pages of scrolling through YouTube later, you finally found it. Uh, no, I ended up finding the tweet and then going there and and searching it by the title that it had from the actual YouTube. So yeah, a little bit of a, uh, and actually uh, I got interrupted when I was watching it the first time because uh, I hadn't realized it was in French and I uh, had to, so I was watching it here before recording and I went to go and try to find it again by searching for it and I, I couldn't find it. So I went to my history and I had to scroll down through all the videos I've watched recently before or since, and I finally found it that way. So we have no trailer to play for, for this one. And, uh, that's, I mean, it's about a 12 minute short film. Uh, the basic, uh, premise of this, and this is, gives at least a little bit of a, of a view of what the movie or short film is about is, um, in 1888, a godly woman does everything she can to save her dying mother. Now, I think you would agree with me that that's not, uh, or at least that's a more uh, of an explanation of what's going on than maybe you might get from the short film itself. What do you What do you say? I'd say that's basically like the first thirty seconds to maybe a minute of it, but yeah. then from there it like takes you through a path of just a whole bunch of stuff that was pretty difficult to understand. <laughs> yeah, and I don't necessarily think that that is. Uh, a fault of the director or of the writing um, because it is a short film and it's only 12 minutes. Um, David and David, if I say your, your last name wrong, I apologize. I think it's David Texaria. Um, I might have that completely wrong, but 
I'll just go with David for the rest of the the discussion, uh, and hopefully uh, I might reach out to him, see if he'll uh, come on to the podcast and maybe interview him and talk to him about this. Um, so yeah, you have it open up with a woman getting ready uh, for her day, and she goes out, and you do get the idea that it's like eighteen hundreds uh, by her her outfit, and uh, she's out kind of picking herbs, and she is stopped by this this man who gives her, uh, these other herbs that says that it won't, uh, prolong her life, but it'll make her better. And so under that presumption, she gives it to her mother and, uh, her mother ends up dying pretty much immediately. And then kind of everything, uh, goes downhill for her at that point. I mean, and that's kind of where things really start to pick up. Uh, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. Um, it. I think that it. Instead of what I kind of got initially was like maybe she was trying to kill her mom, but obviously not true from the synopsis, which I didn't have prior to watching it. It was one of those things where like I kind of assumed ah, maybe she just wants to <laughs> end it for. Her. Well, uh, and one thing I would say that maybe you might have missed <laughs> uh, when when watching it, and I know I caught it. Um, watching because of especially how things go at, at the end. Uh, she does have a like little makeshift cross and, uh, she grabs that before she goes out for her like little first trip. And I, I wouldn't take someone who, um, would maybe want to kill their mother wanting to necessarily, um, be a person of God, but there is an interesting moment. Um, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the, uh, there's a, like, handmade crucifix also in the hall and it almost looks like an upside down crucifix did you see that i think the first time it showed it it was right like right side up okay. and then like it cuts to a second portion when she's like when, she's run, <laughs> when she used to leave out. and yeah. then it's upside down okay i might have missed that first bit but that that's interesting that you would say that because that would kind of go in line with where it goes later on um i Really liked the score for this as well, um, but one one issue I had with with the short film was um, the audio. And of course, I'm no um, stranger to bad audio. Not saying that their audio is bad, but it seemed um, I, I don't know what the word is. It seemed a little too rough in the sense like it was everything that they had was being picked up. Like so, when you hear like a blade of grass moving, you hear it scratching and stuff like that. Um, so I think it leveled out after the beginning. Um, but like the stuff when she's getting ready, you're hearing every single little sound and maybe that was the intent. Um, it seemed a little too much for me, but, uh, that was just a minor thing. I thought that the actress does a really good job. Uh, and it's primarily her, like you don't see, really anyone else on screen you hear the mother you kind of see the old man at the at the beginning and then the uh kind of reveal near the end you get a little bit of a glimpse there but nothing uh nothing full on and so i really it's all on her and i think her performance was really strong um but i also really like the score so i think that those are the two major highlights from this short film I'd have to say that with the sound, since there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue, I think it was probably, probably the intent was to provide a little bit more of the atmosphere of like what's going on. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, it just seems like a, a, it just seemed a little rough, like not um, just not a completely. I, I don't know, because I, I know I'm not getting a, like a right phrase or a right idea across, but it just seemed like it could have been a little bit smoother. It seemed like really scratchy or at points like really loud when it should have been a little more subtle, but I can see that being it too is it's to give you more of the idea of the atmosphere and more, um, just more kind of world building in the sense of you, you do only have this one character. You don't see outside of like her, her house much other than the woods. Uh, she doesn't have many interactions with any other characters. Um, now, I don't know exactly 
where she goes from here, uh, from the, from the end of the short film, I would be really interested to see where David wants to take it. If he's going to continue telling that story or even more so. And, um, since we will be talking about Dr. Sleep later on, um, this is kind of what happened with Mike Flanagan with one of his movies. Uh, he did a short for Oculus before getting, um, money to do Oculus, uh, as a full length, a full feature length film. So I, um, I would appreciate if he gets the chance, um, that uh, he, uh, might be able to make this into an actual full length film. And I think then we could get more answers or more of a background, more of a story. Um, and I, and I think that this is not necessarily his first piece. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think he does have another uh, piece that's kind of a precursor to this. Uh, and I think it's even referenced in the credits, the Ouroboros thing, um, which could be maybe that's necessary watching before going into this one, or maybe it's not. But I, I think overall, um, especially being a short film, I, I think uh, it does a really good job. I, I'm intrigued by it. I want to know more about the world and more about the character and where she goes from the climax. Um, I, like I said, I really dug the um, the score. I thought the music was spot on, um, especially kind of the beginning music, the kind of somber piano. And then when it gets to kind of the more drastic scenes, kind of the, the harsher music, uh, I just thought it went really well with what was on the screen. And so I think I'm going to land on a score of a 3.5 out of five. Um, there's definitely a lot more I liked about it than I disliked. And I definitely want to see where this could go down the road if uh, possible. And like I said, I'll reach out to David and see if he'd be interested in coming on the show and maybe uh, talking about it. That would be, I think a really cool uh, experience and maybe he can get open my eyes to a little bit more of what was going on there that I didn't catch. Um, and before we go on to your score, I do, do want to say that there is a whole actual channel of, uh, short films on YouTube called alter. And you're the one who turned me on to that. And I have to recommend that to anyone, um, who loves horror because it is a real, it's, I mean, it's got hits and misses like any type of channel would have. Uh, but, there's a lot of cool concept uh, short films out there, and it's really cool to see people out there making it. And people know I'm a you know huge proponent of indie horror and indie filmmakers, um, and I like people like David getting their work out there and getting it known, even if it's through like the means of YouTube. So, what what are your final thoughts on on Mater? So, final thoughts for me, I, I land on a three out of five. I do think that. Uh, a lot of short films have similar, uh, I, I'd, I'd say issues, but I'd, I'd say the fact that they're short films, they don't always have enough time to explain everything. Yeah. Uh, so, so it, it was one of those that like maybe like five, ten, five or 10 more minutes that I feel like I would have gotten it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, a lot of them on altar are kind of like that too, where you're kind of like, eh, maybe a little bit more context would have been, uh, been, been helpful. Yeah. I think that's a very good, uh, and valid point. Cause I don't think that, uh, it's something that necessarily, um, is a negative aspect of a short film. It's just, if you go in at least giving that type of understanding, uh, to, um, the filmmakers and the, and the actors and everyone that worked on it that, okay, so maybe this didn't fully work, uh, for me, but knowing that they have a limited time frame and, and they're restricted within the budget and, um, they have all these kind of constraints that they're working with. Um, we can give them a little bit more leeway in how we view their, their, um, final product, because I don't think it's fair to be solely like, oh yeah, this is a complete, tr- complete trash because, I don't get it. You know, maybe there is, like I said, there, he had that other, I think, uh, he has another piece that goes into this. And like, had I looked at that 
beforehand, maybe maybe that gives greater understanding to what happens on here. Or even like I said, with what Mike Flanagan got with Oculus, maybe that this generates enough buzz that then he does get that opportunity. He can get a budget that he can spread that story out to an hour and a half, uh, you know, film. So I, I think that's a very good and important point to make up that when you got to take that into consideration uh, with some of the short films. All right, guys. So that's, Oh, you have something else you want to say? I was, I was just going to top that off, off yeah. with saying always take right. it with the greatest help. Uh, absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our review of Mater. You can go check it out on YouTube. If you have trouble uh, searching for it, just type in uh, Mater short horror film, and that should bring it up uh, to the forefront. I know he submitted this to a bunch of um, um, horror fests and film fests, so hopefully uh, it did really well there. I think uh, I think he's he's definitely got a talent, and I would like to see where that goes on in the future. All right, guys. So it'll we'll, actually oh, go ahead. It'll actually pull up a uh, a short horror film of the truck from Cars going on a killing spree. Uh, now that would be something I wouldn't mind seeing. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll get a look at a little Christine action there going on since we're going to be talking about Stephen King later. But uh, all right, guys, we're going to move on now into Call of Duty. Identify the target. You are the target. All right, guys. So I might be probably <clears throat> one of the few, if any, people on the face of the planet play Call of Duty for the campaign. Uh, I didn't purchase uh, Black Ops 4 because it was uh, just a battle royale. Um, so I didn't have any real interest in playing the online as Pat knows, I'm not a huge online multiplayer, uh, game person, uh, myself. I prefer to play more, um, solo games, or at least if I can, if it's online, I can still play kind of solo mode a little bit like, um, destiny where there are some modes that require you to play online, but you can primarily progress through the story on your own. Um, so the campaign, uh, I'm not completely finished with it yet, but I would have to say that this is probably one of the better campaigns um, of recent years. Them kind of going back to the nitty gritty. Like I, I liked World War II's uh, campaign, um, but I did, I didn't mind um, Advanced Warfare or uh, Infinite Warfare. But it did kind of go a little bit uh, too into the future and trying to do weird mechanics with it. But, uh, I, um, 
I really like the story for this one. It it brings back kind of you know the price character and it's got it updated for kind of today's time uh, with with um, what we're dealing with in the Middle East and just not even just Middle East. It's it's primarily Russia's the bad guy in this one. Um, and you do have characters that are kind of Middle Eastern terrorists, but uh, you at least get a more kind of full picture of why uh, this group is acting the way that they are acting in a, in a way that then kind of not to make you sympathize with the terrorists, but to at least make you understand where they're coming from that you could probably identify with if this were to happen in your life, uh, you might be taking the same action. So I think that that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, it's got a lot of great set pieces. Um, the one that I, I like and hate the most so far is the, uh, embassy mission because, uh, it's a really kind of clever mission, but at the same time, there's a stealth, uh, mission where you're directing this, uh, worker to safety and it's very frustrating cause you're just looking from a camera and then you're telling her when to go. And sometimes the AI is a bitch and will, even though it's like not anywhere near close to you would catch you and immediately kill that person and immediately fail the mission. But, um, the only other thing that I kind of have to say about the campaign, and this is kind of goes for Call of Duty uh, in general. Uh, one of the things that I fi- always find frustrating is always it is always difficult to find who is shooting at you. Um, although you get kind of a damage indicator of saying which direction it's kind of coming from, even when you have uh, scopes and stuff that you're li- lining your sights on, I always have an extremely difficult time. I don't know uh, if it needs a, a mini map that kind of is giving you at least an idea of where, uh, enemies are, but I always find myself like walking into a situation and, um, like getting shot all around and not having any idea where that the shots are coming from. But, uh, this also does kind of give you some moral gray areas, um, in a game, uh, much like uh, if you go back to modern warfare Two, where you have the airport mission, um, there's a, a a mission where you are raiding kind of a, an enemy uh, uh, safe house and there are innocent civilians in there. And there are some situations where you end up in a room and like, you know that it's a civilian, but you don't want to kill them or just shoot at them. Uh, but then they pull a gun on you and they shoot you. And it's like uh, one, you shoot like a mom down in front of her kid because she grabs a gun and she shoots at you. And it's like, you have no other option, nor can you progress like later on in the game, but it does give you kind of those gray moral areas that, uh, you don't want to take that shot, but you kind of have to for your own self-preservation. And it's a very interesting, uh, dynamic that I think, um, call of duty is exploring with this game, but that's all I really got to kind of say about the campaign right now. I'll probably, give kind of a final campaign review score when um, I've actually finished it and maybe have ventured on the multiplayer uh, more than I have currently. But Pat, why don't you go ahead and take over and, and talk a little bit about the, the online and cross play and all that stuff. All right. So the online for call of duty, I'm going to start with the ground war. Uh, so it's basically the exact same game style as battlefield. Uh, except in the fact that it's Call of Duty. And <laughs> so I think that the game probably could have got done without this game mode. Um, it's very, I- I'd say it's frustrating, to say the least. Well, I'd agree um, with you. I mean, when we uh, when we did the cross-play and we played it, like that was the first one we did. And you know I had a bitch of a time just trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's like... It, it it really is like Battlefield if it were just terrible. <laughs> um, I, I would say that the vehicles in it are pretty much like instant kills on anyone that's on the ground, where at least in Battlefield you can like hide from vehicles, stuff like that. Um, I will say the regular game modes actually are pretty good. Um, they have had to do some rework on weapons to make them. They've had the nerf weapons. They've had the boost weapons. There's entire patch notes that are out right. that you can look through. 
I, I don't have them readily available. Well, I wouldn't expect you to go through them either. Cause I, uh, <laughs> let me tell you that makes for riveting talking going through patch notes. Oh, I know. Right. Uh, I will say that the M4 was like one of the best weapons in the game and they like took it down a, a lot. It's still powerful, but yeah. I mean, not, not as much as it was when it first started. Uh, we, we also got a chance to play the co-op. Yeah. Um, which seems to have a story of its own. Right. But we, we didn't really get far enough into it to really get to evaluate it, really. I will say that if you go in as a pair, it will pair you with two other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it seems to kind of scale based off of how many people are in there because we had people leave the lobby, come back in, right. and it kind of scales based off of that. But I, I would also say that it was pretty difficult to play yeah um, uh it it definitely as i'd say like we got through the first i mean we kind of came in that that round uh maybe midway through probably what is like the first section of the mission and then we got to the second uh and we we managed to work our way around that like we got downed a couple times but we all managed to revive each other um but then when we got to the stadium uh level where we had to take out the servers now we got the first server no issue but then trying to get to that second server and we just had waves and waves of enemies and we all just kept going down no matter what we tried to do. And then finally, I think we all just, we gave up and, um, but I, I will say I didn't find myself nearly as frustrated with that mode versus going on and trying the other online modes because, you know, like for me, I just, especially, you know, you've mentioned crossplay, like when you're playing with, people on computers, I'm playing at a disadvantage versus, you know, you playing on your, on your gaming rig. Um, and so when we were doing the co-op, at least like we're working with two other online, online players and we're just facing AI. And I guess like that's alleviates some of the frustration with me. Whereas when I'm playing multiplayer with people online, regardless on if they're cheating or if they're not cheating, uh, I always seem to find like I get shot with like one bullet and I'm dead. But then when I'm shooting at an enemy, it takes me a whole clip before I can take them down. And that's something I never liked about online games at all. Yeah. I think hardcore alleviates that a little bit, but yeah. not, not as much as you would hope. Um, it does have the normal, uh, call of duty, uh, pitch a tent and hide out yeah. aspect to it. Yeah, there, you know, and I think, uh, and I know they're working to address this because I saw something on online about this this week. Um, spawn camping, because that was the biggest frustration of us doing that ground as a ground war um, <laughs> mode. Was every time I'd spawn, there was a guy right there at every spawn point, and who just took you out as soon as you spawned, and that's extremely frustrating. And it's those people that end up getting the you know prestige and and all the the really good weapons because they're they're taking advantage of the system in a way that i think is very annoying and needs to be fixed somehow like in all honesty i i I feel like there should be a way where there's uh maybe a restriction area of how far someone can be close to a respawn but i know that that comes up into uh, a difficult position because um when you capture some of those points those become spawn points so that's a really tough thing for them to try to work out yeah i think that battlefield probably has the spawn points a little bit better um as far as that goes for ground war Mm -hmm. type type gameplay uh the spawn camping for like regular team deathmatch and all that it i feel has just become part of the Call of Duty lifestyle. I yeah. mean, it's been a while since I've played a Call of Duty, but I would say that that's kind of how it, it it ends up being. Now, this being because I, I mean, you really surprised me when you said you picked this up. Now, this being the first um, Call of Duty you've played probably since what? I mean, other I know you off off uh, camera. You and I uh, talked about you had gotten you'd played some of World War Two, but. Um, since that, or even with, I don't really count that. When was the last Call of Duty that you played? Was it Modern Warfare Four? Uh, it, it was Modern. It was three. Okay. Modern Warfare Three. Okay. Was the last one that I played. So I played 
uh, Call of Duty 4, which was Modern Warfare 1. Yeah. Uh, I briefly played Modern Warfare 2, not as much as I probably wanted to. And then uh, I played 3 for quite a bit. Yeah, two and then was since, one. since that I've been on a, uh, a hiatus. <laughs> uh, two was the one that kind of got me into the franchise, so uh, I still need to. I got the remastered um, because of my Infinite um, Warfare pre-order a while back. Uh, I never made it through all all of the uh, missions, but uh, yeah, I, I got into. There was a Modern Warfare four, wasn't there? I'm, I'm not making that up, right? This is the fourth Modern Warfare game. Okay, so three was the last one. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't remember. I could have sworn that there was a Modern Warfare four, but two and three, I, did, I know I owned and played, and we did a lot of um, offline uh, plays with uh, my neighbors and and uh, my my friend Johnny that lives in in Indy before he moved out to Indianapolis, uh, and we always had a lot of fun with those maps and whatnot, and. Uh, that's one thing that I had difficulty with uh, on the multiplayer, uh, at least for the the big scale one, was the map. Um, do you have any thoughts on the on the map, or at least the maps in general? For this one, yeah, uh, I'd I'd say that some of them are fairly good, and then others are very very difficult in a sense that the spawn points on some of them are very one-sided to where if you get stuck in your spawn, you're, there's no way you're getting out unless it flips. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think the uh, developers need to address, but well, and you I, know, they probably won't. <laughs> and I, um, we, we did like what is the team deathmatch mode as well, and I don't like it in the sense of, Yes, it's team deathmatch, but they've made it like hardcore so that you don't have any HUD or anything. And so, like, I really need that. Like, I wish they would have a version that was like not hardcore, essentially, um, because like I, I think c- they, I think they updated it. Did they? Okay, I haven't been, I haven't been on the multiplayer since you and I last played on the co-op. So that's that's good because that's like. I, I, I mean, that's fine if you're like a hardcore Call of Duty fan, like you want to challenge yourself, go for it. But uh, someone like myself uh, who, you know, wants to experience it a little bit but doesn't necessarily want to or even will ever get to like hardcore level would still like to enjoy the mode a little bit and, and have at least the mini map. I mean, I don't need the ammo count or anything like that, but... I at least need a mini map to kind of know where I can go, where I can't go. And, you know, instead of just getting it when they get their UAVs and then, you you know, you're spotted or when we get a UAV, then you can spot the other enemies. Um, So uh, do you have anything else you want to mention or talk about on Call of Duty? No, I think that I'll eventually get into the story, but for the time being, I'll probably stick to multiplayer. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you have any type of uh, score you want to give it, or do you think uh, you still need some time? Mm, uh, I, at this point in time, I'd probably go with like a three out of five. Okay. Uh, it's definitely not the worst game I've ever played. Um, I'm impressed with the graphics, definitely. Oh, gosh. That's... <laughs> That's one thing with the um, the campaign that just blows me away, especially on the on the big cutscenes or the uh, the the CGI. Like it, it is mind blowing. I mean, it is it. You know where that money is going when when uh, you know they're the best selling game and they make all the money from their games. Uh, all that money is definitely going into the graphics, and I, I've even switched to. Uh, I didn't switch because of because of this game, but. Uh, I've switched to going back to using the HDR on my on my uh, PS4 Pro uh, for Death Stranding, um, and I went after playing Death Stranding for a little bit yesterday. I went to uh, Call of Duty, and I just even there, I could tell that there was a, an improvement or an even better looking uh, product than without HDR. Not saying that without HDR it looked awful, but it was just sharper pictures, you know, darker blacks and all that stuff uh that goes on with HDR kind of seeing more fine lines uh and uh it was it was impressive. I was I was very pleased with with it and uh I I'm I'm looking forward to reaching the end of it. Um 
I know I'm probably not too far away because they're about a five to six hour campaign and I've done about, you know, I think five missions so far. Um, so I, I know I've got to be close to the end, but I'll, I'll give a final kind of review score on that. I think tentative right now, we'll say with a, about a four uh, out of five. Uh, just some of those things that kind of frustrate me with some of the missions and, you know, not being able to fully be able to tell when an enemy is there, uh, which is just my problem with COD all the time. So, all right, guys, I think that's going to do it with us talking about Call of Duty. We're going to go ahead and move into my review of uh, Dr. Sleep, and uh, we're going to play the trailer here for you. And then Pat's probably going to ask me a few questions about it because I know he's a fan of uh, The Shining, and I know he didn't get a chance out to get out and see it. Um, I am happy. I, I was debating getting out to see it this weekend. Uh, I just kind of, I work from home on Fridays and I was just wanting to just go ahead and start my weekend and relax. But I, I forced myself to go buy a ticket cause it is not a short movie. It is two and two and a half hours long. Uh, it's, 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 it's longer than the original shining, and I knew even if I was going to see it at three o'clock, I was probably going to be getting out at six o'clock. Uh, so I, I, I bought the ticket. I forced myself to go and I'm very pleased, uh, that I made myself do that. So, all right, we're going to go ahead and go into the trailer and then we'll discuss it. When I was a kid, there was a place. closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there... They come back. How many ride the bus this far north? You're running away from someone? for myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These hinted devils, they'll eat what shines. And they noticed that of a girl. Oh, hi guys. Get out of my head! Get out! I haven't felt power like that in so long. They're coming. guys so uh, this movie is probably in my opinion and I'm, uh, I might get some flack for saying this uh, probably the best adaptation of a Stephen King book um, in fact I, 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 well, I didn't necessarily read I listened to the audiobook uh, back when it originally came out um, this would be about I guess it would be about five or six years ago when he uh, he released Dr. Sleep and I had a really hard time kind of following the narrative. Uh, it's it's set, obviously, after The Shining. Danny's um, older now, and he kind of is aware of this um, young girl named Abra who uh, is a lot stronger or ha- has a lot more of The Shining in her than he uh, currently has. So he was maybe at her level when he was young and at the overlook, but, um, 
he's kind of dulled that sense away a little bit. So, um, there is then kind of this faction of vampires. They're not really vampires per se, but they, what they do is vampiric in the sense that they, uh, they eat the essence of people who have the shine. Um, and they prolong their lives that way. And they become aware of Abra and they are kind of searching to find her, uh, cause she's got this big amount and they, um, don't have, they don't have much left and, and some of them are starting to die. And so they're going after her for her shine that will kind of sustain them for a long time. And then Danny has to, uh, protect her. And I really kind of had a hard time of the book kind of following that narrative a little bit and the back and forth. And, and if these characters were around, like how are they not around or why weren't they around in the original shiny? Now, granted, you know, I don't think when, um, King wrote the shining, he ever planned that he was going to do a sequel to it. Uh, but an idea came to him later in, in life and, um, so I, I didn't hate it, but I, I didn't quite understand what was going on there. Now I'm going to be rereading it. Um, I was going to try to reread it before, uh, seeing the movie, but I just didn't have time to, uh, to see if I get that kind of same feeling. But I will say the issues I had with the book, this film alleviated all of it. Like it made it more understandable. I still have an issue of where of these kind of group of vampires been or why, uh, how do they exist? How did they get started? Um, but this movie does a really good job of kind of the issues I had or the things I didn't get explaining it in a way that made it more understandable, especially for an audience that hasn't, uh, read the book. And when the director, Mike Flanagan came out and said that this was a direct sequel to Kubrick's film, but also King's book, I was really not sure how that was going to work considering how much I know King dislikes Kubrick's uh, vision of The Shining because it deviated so much from his book. And in fact, I I believe I saw a tweet from King uh, this week or this weekend saying that this actually makes Kubrick's film okay with him now. And, uh, I, I can see that it, it is definitely it takes it takes the Kubrick's film, but it but it also acknowledges things that go on in the book or things that are from the book. And in fact, um, it reworks the whole final act of the of the Dr. Sleep book. Uh, not to go into spoilers, but kind of with something with how the original Shining uh, deals with events. But it does move, and and I'm not going to... This isn't a spoiler because you could see it in the trailer, uh, and I'm I'm sure everyone can kind of assume that the final act all takes place at the Outlook, um, which um, I think was the best move for the film. And it works really well for me, and it's got a lot of great callbacks, a lot of great Easter eggs. Ewan McGregor does a fantastic job as an older Danny Torrance. Um, and considering that the film really starts off actually right after the events of the shining, um, they do a really good job of casting actors that look like Shelley Duvall, uh, that looks like Scatman Crothers. Um, and that looked like, um, uh, Daniel Lloyd, I think was the original Danny, uh, Torrance. Um, And so they they do pay a lot of homage to to Kubrick's film while also being respectful of King's work. And I think that that's what King was kind of coming at was saying that this makes, this redeems Kubrick's vision. Uh, There's one particular kind of Easter egg that I want to point out to see if anyone else catches it because I did rewatch The Shining in 4K uh, before going out and seeing Dr. Sleep. And at the beginning of uh, The Shining, you have uh, Jack Torrance going in for his interview at The Overlook. And the the room kind of is like an orange-pink color room. Uh, There's pictures on the wall. There's desks. If you know that scene and what I'm talking about with how that that, uh, is set up, there's an identical scene 
it's not in the overlook, but it, it's uh, Danny interviewing kind of for a job and it is set up exactly the same. I mean, like I, I caught it immediately. I'm going, Oh my gosh, this is the exact same kind of room. Uh, although it's in a, you know, different state, different place and all that stuff. So, um, the only negative I have to say, and it's not anything pertaining to the movie, uh, is the audience I saw this movie with. And, and Pat, you're not aware of this. I haven't told you about this. Uh, I don't think I have. I was ready to strangle the uh, group of seven or eight older women that were in this in the theater with me. Now, granted, I was seeing this at three o'clock on Friday. It wasn't uh, packed. And kind of from what I'm seeing about box office numbers, it's a shame that uh, a lot of people aren't going out to see this movie. They need to. I'm highly recommending it to go out and see it in theaters. Um, But there were maybe 20 people at most in the big house, one of the big houses in uh, Cinemark and Western Hills. And that usually holds probably about 200 people. And they talked through most of the movie. And in fact, they had to be sitting next to me, which was the worst part about it. I picked my one seat in the damn middle of the theater like I always do. And here they sit literally right next to me and fill up the whole rest of the row down, down the other side. So they're talking. They're being loud. Then uh, one of their friends gets up to go to the bathroom and then scares one of the other, actually the one sitting next to me, like goes and scares them on purpose. So then they're shouting and and saying things. And then uh, another woman's going, this is just a disgusting movie. This is just a disgusting movie. And I'm sitting there going, why don't the hell you don't just fucking leave? Pardon language. I try to keep it pretty light here on the show. But that's that's where I was at. I was so upset and I could hear some of the other people because they would they would talk. And then every time something would happen, like uh, if someone were to get grabbed by the throat or if someone got shot, it was always, ooh ah, oh, ah. And I'm like, seriously, you, you got to be doing that. You're not at your personal home. There are other people here in the theater. You're in your 60s or 70s. How are you not more respectful? And I would go into a meme thing here, but I'm not going to. Um, but I was very upset and I almost said something to him afterwards, but I, I just I didn't think it was worth it at that point. Uh, they did finally kind of cool it down more towards the end of the film. But I I just could not believe and it's a reminder to me why like something like Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or these streaming services, why it's more appealing now to watch a movie at home versus going out to a theater when you're paying uh, 11 bucks or 15 bucks for a ticket. And you have people like this who uh, some of them hadn't even seen the original shining. So they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't have any idea of the backstory or anything like that. Uh, They probably didn't understand it was a Stephen King film. So when, There's some gruesome murder scenes. They didn't understand that. And that's what they were referring to it being disgusting. Um, It just was a very frustrating uh, theatrical experience. But with all of that said, even though I had a really shitty experience, I still enjoyed the movie a lot. I liked the um, the girl they had to play Abra, the young girl, main, uh, the main actress. I thought she was very, very good, uh, especially for, I don't know if she's been in anything else, but if this is her first movie, I think she's going to have a good career. Uh, like I said, Ewan McGregor, who has uh, quickly become probably one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, I remember seeing um, Phantom Menace in theaters back when I was younger and I hated him. Like I did not like him as Obi-Wan and I just like, I'm like, this guy can't act. And I'm not really one to pick up on people who can't act. And then, uh, you know, clone war or attack the clones, not clone wars. Uh, and then revenge of the Sith. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yes, this, this guy I like. And then of course, as I got older, I got exposed to train spotting, Um, and just now any movie I see him in, I really, really enjoy. So, um, 
Scott or the guy they had to basically be Scatman Crothers Dick Holleran uh, was Carl Lumley. Um, if you're not familiar with him, the main thing I can tell you he's done is Martian Manhunter's voice for the Justice League animated TV show, and he played John Jones' father on Supergirl. Uh, he does a really good job as Dick um, in this as well. And there's only one hamper that I kind of wish they would have done. Uh, but I'm not going to go into it because it kind of is in spoiler material. Uh, the I one thing I don't like, but I'm not detracting points off on the, on the movie for this because it's because of it being a more of a sequel to the the Shining the movie versus uh, the Shining the book. How things turn out um, for Danny uh, is different. I I don't like it per se, but I understand the choice and it makes sense within the context of the film. So just because I personally don't like it because I like the character and I like, uh, you and McGregor, um, I just did not, uh, I couldn't hold that against the film for going in that route in that direction. So, uh, I don't have much else to say about the movie. Um, I think it's, it's very well paced. Uh, it's, it's well acted. Uh, it, it did remind me of things I forgot about cause I was getting frustrated with, with some things at the very beginning, but then all of a sudden I was like, Oh wait, I remember being that frustrated from the book, but King being able to explain it in a way that, uh, made me okay with it. And the film does that as well. Um, the way that they bring the outlook back, uh, is, or is the, uh, not the outlook, it's the overlook. What am I thinking? Uh, or am I, do I have this, I have this completely wrong. Go ahead. It's the overlook. Should be over, overlook. I'm saying outlook. Apologies, uh, throughout the most, the most of this. I, it's the overlook, not the outlook. Uh, precursor, uh, not precursor, but I've got a really bad headache. So my brain's not all here. And I was so uh, frustrated from that audience that, uh, the overlook, sorry, <laughs> I'm going to probably get murdered. Uh, I will put a little, uh, preface, I think on the tweet promoting this episode tomorrow saying, I ignore my, uh, you know, my, my bad, uh, lapse in memory there, lapse in judgment, but this is too much to go back and try to re re-record. So, uh, that's all I have to say about it. I, I will say that this is probably the best adaptation of a Stephen King work. And I will say, uh, and I, this will be, um, kind of, uh, brave to say this, this is actually better than the book. I think that this, uh, blows his book out of the water. And I won't say that about pretty much any Stephen King adaptation. I think that what Mike Flanagan does here is he does a nice, um, embracing of Kubrick and embracing of King and still making it his own movie. And, you know, his, it has his style. It has his, uh, touch on there and it was pretty much flawless for me. So this is one I got to go with a five out of five. So, um, I don't have anything else I want to say, but do you have any questions uh, about the movies since you haven't seen it? Of course. Uh, so as far as like the, the sets that they used, like going back to, the uh the hotel mm. the overlook hotel uh to be specific um would you say that they did a good job of like recreating the uh the atmosphere 100 percent, 100 percent. i mean when and you see it in the trailer um he revisits the room where jack takes the axe to the door and everything and you know you've still got the the red rum on the door and i mean they the boiler room, because in fact, I kind of even forgot that the boiler room actually makes an appearance in the original Shining. Um, he revisits the boiler room because he's kind of the reason he's there at the Overlook um, Hotel. Uh, I'm not going to say the reason, but w he does revisit all these particular spots for particular reasons. And... Um, the boiler room set looks exactly the same from the, from the original shining. And I mean the, the ballroom, uh, the main hall, the, the, the uh, room two thirty seven, 
everything looks almost exactly like it did in the original movie, except that they've aged it, of course, because of it being, you know, 30 plus years later. But it is amazing how well they uh, made it look like you were revisiting the same place that they left in the original movie. That's awesome. Um, and then I, I, I might be mistaken mm-hmm. in uh, this question, uh, but the the book, if I'm not, if I'm re- remembering correctly from what, what I did read of it, I, I know I didn't finish it, but it, it referenced other books outside of The Shining. Uh, um, if I'm not, I could be wrong. Well, I know, now I know, I'm not sure, because I have finished The Shining. I don't remember if, the Shining references out to any of the other King novels, but I will say that uh, it, the novelization, it, not novelization, the novel, it, uh, does reference Dick Holleran um, in that uh, with being in a scene of where uh, I believe Mike's dad uh, and Dick were in the military together and they survived a, uh, a, a uh, fire at a club and Dick basically saving them from uh, from it because of his shine. Um, I do know, and I didn't catch this, but someone uh, brought this up on Twitter and Mike Flanagan confirmed it, that there is um, an A and a K in uh, Abra's bedroom. And that is a reference to Ka, which is a reference to the Dark Tower series. Um, and so I really... Um, Siri was about to interject there for a second. I actually caught it this time. Um, but I, I don't remember if the shining book itself had any other outside references. And I don't know if Dr. Sleep did as well. Huh? I, I could be misremembering it. Which one was it that had like Pennywise lives like on a wall or whatever? Oh, uh, Pennywise lives was actually in Dreamcatcher. Because mm. um, that's uh, and it's only in the book. It's not in, in the movie. Uh, one of the characters is um, I believe it's the one that has kind of the alien infestation and he's going through dairy and he comes across a monument and it says Pennywise lives. Um, so I I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't think because The Shining doesn't really deal with any outside uh, uh influence other than what's in the overlook because of that's pretty much where the novel takes place. Uh, but I, I, when I reread Dr. Sleep, maybe there'll be something in there as well. There might be a reference, uh, there, but I don't think in the movie, uh, itself, there were any other than that Ka reference. There might not been any other outside references. I know in the, in the dark tower movie, they had a picture of the overlook in there. Um, but I do know, and I was trying to look for it, but I was so enamored by the set for the Overlook um, that Mike Flanagan's Oculus mirror was, I guess, hidden in one of like one of the s- scenes. And uh, so I, I have to go. Um, this would definitely be like an immediate day one purchase for me. I, I'm owning this and I'm going to probably watch it several times. I'll probably end up watching them both back to back because I think it can seamlessly um, go into one and the other. And another thing uh, I do want to kind of mention is uh, the the opening uh, is kind of with the Warner Brothers uh, insignia is kind of like the 1980s opening. And then it starts out with the same um, score. <laughs> Excuse me. But then going on later when they're actually uh, traveling to the Overlook, um this shot is pretty much the same shot of the opening of the shining, except it's at night. So you see that little Island with uh, the kind of the trees and that, that kind of panning shot. And then the shot of them driving the car up the hill and through the mountains and stuff. And that's just really fantastic. Cause it matches almost perfect. In fact, I was kind of waiting for a moment for uh, Danny to say something about the uh, Donner party, but of course, you know, that, that didn't happen, but um, I, I was just very impressed and very happy with this film. Um, and I just didn't have any real complaints about it. Even being fairly long, uh, I didn't feel like I was in the theater super long. Like everything, it's definitely, it's got its first act, it's got its second act, and it's got a hell of a third act. 
and I have to recommend it for anyone who is a lover of Kubrick shining. Now I'm in a weird position because you know me, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, and I primarily like his book adaptations over the film or TV adaptations. Although I, I like those adaptations. I, I think the books end up being far superior. Um, I did not as an adaptation of Stephen King's work did not like the shining as a Kubrick film. It's fantastic, but as an adaptation of uh, King's work, it's awful. And then they did a 1997 TV movie that everyone that is a huge fan of uh, Kubrick's film hates on because it's a lot more related to the book. It's 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 more identifiable. The room number is is at the actual room number from the book. Uh, it removes any of kind of Kubrick's fancy and and. Uh, his style and what his image for the movie was. Cause you can say the shining, um, Kubrick film is a Kubrick movie. It is not a King work or even a King movie. It is a Kubrick film. Um, the 97 miniseries is more of a King work and it feels more like King's novel. So, uh, I really like that this movie can now make me go back and say that, Kubrick's film is more now of an adaptation of King's work. Whereas before I had to delineate it. Now I can kind of accept it. And I think that that was, uh, Flanagan's, um, intent with this movie. I, I just, I, I've, I know I've said it a couple of times already. Um, when he came out and said that he was making this as a sequel to Kubrick's film, but also to the book, I didn't know how he was going to do that. I thought that was going to, there were a lot of irreconcilable differences, uh, from Kubrick's film that I just didn't think he could do. And my God, he did it like he, he did it so well. And in fact, an out for a particular thing, um, that was in the book and then Kubrick changed for the film that, um, I, I didn't think, um, was going to work. He, he came up with a clever way in which also was was makes the the end of the movie acceptable to me as well, uh, even though I don't like the choice that's made within the context and with what everything that Flanagan sets up for this movie works and I can accept it and I love it. So, yeah, this one's an easy five out of five. I don't know if you have any other thoughts or, or things you want to bring up or ask. No, I definitely will have to get out and see it, though. Yes, yes. Especially go go scare that fiance of yours. Definitely, I might have to swing out tomorrow. Yeah, because uh, and and thank you for bringing that up because that was one thing I did want to bring up uh, on on today's show. Um, yeah, because you're lucky because you have the day off tomorrow because tomorrow is Veterans Day in the states, and uh, so I also just want to extend out uh, you know a happy Veterans Day um, and a thank you to everyone who's in the service or has served. Uh, you know it's a big task and it's not one I could take on myself. And, uh, you guys have earned the day off, even though I'm, I might be, um, annoyed being at work tomorrow. Uh, yeah, go out and see it. And everyone else, you all have a great, um, veterans day if you're off and thank you for your service. I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, we are going to probably be having a midweek release. If, uh, we get a chance to record, Uh, tomorrow it looks like everyone agreed uh or wanted a franchise review of the terminator series so what pat and i are going to be doing is we're going to be doing individual episodes uh and they're probably going to be released midweek uh each episode dedicated to one of the films in the franchise so the first one i'll be coming up will be 1984's uh terminator and then we'll move on with T2 and we're going to go with order of release and we're not going to go into the, you know, messed up timeline. It's kind of got now. Um, and then we'll end it, uh, probably with a seventh episode to do kind of an overall, uh, franchise review and, and, uh, and, uh, analysis. So look forward to that. Um, we will be keeping you guys notified on Twitter. If you're not following us, follow us on Twitter at critics, not uh, critics in T NT cynics. And, uh, you can always write into the show at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. Um, I think we're going to 
I'm probably going to be doing a giveaway here soon if I can reach 2,000 followers on Twitter. Um, pretty close, about 250 away. Uh, so let's try to do that. And if we can get there relatively soon, we'll, we'll do a giveaway. And uh, I don't think I've got anything else uh, to, to plug. I'll be sure to rate, uh, review, and, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also on Podbean. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. We're trying to grow the audience, and as you may have noticed at the beginning, it's not perfect, but I'm working on a on a cool intro. Um, it may end up just going down to music. Uh, I do need to plug the uh, channel I got the opening song from, if you guys will bear with me for just a second, because um, I do want to make sure that they get credit, since I am not nearly clever enough to create something like this uh, let's see here well i'm looking for that pat have you seen the trailer for uh color out of space i have no idea what you're talking about okay um <laughs> all right so the um the people on youtube to promote is uh g d g tv uh, the music comes from their Neon Metropolis. It's royalty free. So uh, I thank them for making that available uh, to us uh, to be able to use as, as a show music. And um, we'll see what else uh, happens on here. But um, Color Out of Space is an actual adaptation of a HP Lovecraft short story about a meteor um, falling outside kind of like a farmhouse and the changes that go on because of it. it happens to the uh, flora and fauna and also the people living there. Now, this is a modern version of it. And uh, we might just go ahead and play the trailer here and we'll end it at that. Uh, it won't be anything after the trailer, but uh, it is got Nicholas Cage in it as the dad of the family. Um, and he's doing this kind of weird thing of a resurgence in, uh, in horror. Um, Mandy was one of his films recently that I watched that was really impressed by his performance in. And I think that this one will, uh, do a good job as well. So I'm going to go ahead and play that here. And then we're, uh, we are gone for till next time. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. And it's radioactive. I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. He's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static. It's in the moisture. It's in here. It's out there. What's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That ding from the meteorite changes everything around it. 